0: You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Amie Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everybody, welcome back to One Broken Mom. Um, Today I have with me Geffen Lieberman, and he's actually been in the field of substance abuse for over 20 years, and he actually works out a a center called Continuum Recovery down in Phoenix. And I wanted to have this topic on this week because as a parent with teenagers and also having been a teenager myself, um, kind of dabbling and experimenting with different substances as we grow up is... You know, I wouldn't say a rite of passage for some, but it it can be a rite of passage for some. And if we happen to have, you know, our histories of being trauma, you know, having a trauma history of childhood adversities and stuff, you know, there is a fine line between um, being a kid and then going and having something where substance abuse becomes really a a severe condition for us. And so having Geffen on today is, is hugely important. I hope that the takeaways that for many of you that are listening today is if you're parents, you're coming away with an understanding. Understanding of, um, of what to do if your child is leaning in that direction, is already in the midst of that direction, or how to keep your children um, perhaps from going in that direction of a severe addiction. And maybe if you're an adult that has actually dealt with your d- addictions your whole life, maybe there's a way of talking about this in the context of, of adolescents and teenagers that you can pull something out of that that may help you with your own experiences today and maybe a, a little bit of an understanding um, of what you were going through in a different perspective. And so, Welcome to the show today, Gavin.
1: Oh, thanks. I mean, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it.
0: Cool. So I, I really want to um, make a clarification here and, and have you help us answer this question uh, because I think it is important to understand. Uh, to me, it feels like there's a difference, but that there's a difference to know that um, substance abuse in teenagers versus substance abuse in adults. And and what are some of the, the big distinctions between treating those two different populations?
1: Well, no, absolutely. I think that's a great question. I think the biggest difference of many, right, but I think the biggest one is simply uh, adults, which we on the clinical side or the therapeutic side classify generally around 26 to 28, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly not 18, not 21. The rent-a-car companies have it a little bit closer to right at 25, right? But Generally, because prefrontal cortex development and some of the emotional growth skills that you go through uh, as you're forming, you know, your adult years or however you want to look at that. Whereas an adolescent, a teenager is just so raw in their perspective and their emotional coping skills or lack thereof, and they don't really know who they are. And so they don't really know what they're after, right? It's, It's really hard to be true to yourself if you don't know who you are right? And so teenagers are kind of forever in that struggle. So, and then that bleeds right into the consequences or lack thereof, right? Most, certainly not all, but most adults, by the time we ever see them on the treatment side of things, have experienced some pretty significant consequences as a result of their drinking or drug use, as where kind of the reverse is true, you know, sometimes you get that with a 16, 17, 18, you know, 20-year-old. But most of the time, right, you're just not gonna have that because they don't have their own income really. That's not like they have a spouse, or you know, most of the time don't don't have children at that point. There's not a whole lot to lose. But what we say about, you know, when you're a teenager and you're and you're using drugs. Basically, the only consequence you have to avoid, which sadly is becoming harder and harder to avoid, is death, right? Mm -hmm. Just don't die. And everything else you can kind of figure out in your adulthood, that's a teenager would almost look at it, right? So while that may be great if they can achieve that, certainly it's very difficult on the treatment end of things. Because you're dealing with people who don't really have anything to lose, so they haven't lost anything, right? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. So,
1: yeah, so it's a totally different animal, you know, dealing with, you say, a 40-year-old that's about to get divorced, their kids don't want anything to do with them, the boss has said, if I catch you, you know, drink it on the job one more time, you're out, versus a 14-year-old who's like, what? What's the problem? I'm fine, everybody gets high, mm-hmm. right? That's a very different dynamic. Whereas with, with a mature adult or more mature adults, probably is more accurate. Um, you can really use logic and consequences and, you know, really tangible goals even. Whereas again, you know, with the 14 or 15 year old, they're like, well, what's a problem? I'm having fun today, so I don't see an issue with what I'm doing. And you almost have to bring them along a little bit more slowly into understanding Uh, the negative pitfalls, and the positive outcomes if they do make a change. But it's it's very difficult. I mean, I think that's probably, in all my years, and I've worked with with my first 10 years, almost all adolescents, right, And, and really young adults, you know, I think that's probably the hardest population to work with in this regard because they don't really have the consequences. They don't really have the life experience. And they kind of, we all pretty much think we're bulletproof anyway when we're teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so you take a teenager with a drug issue and they're like the mega person of thinking they're bulletproof. And so it's just a really difficult population to help
0: right right yeah well and you and you bringing up the adolescent brain development phase which we've touched on on one broken mom before because it it helps just my gosh it helps us understand our own teenage experiences it helps us understand like parenting teenagers when you start to get that there isn't a lot of really good executive level thinking going on and the fact that that development is happening in the brain is why they can be frustrating and why it can be really hard for parents and teenagers to connect with one another because it's a normal part of Brain architecture that's happening underway, which is then what makes me think of the urgency of tackling uh, substance abuse and use in a teenager. Because all I can think about is all of this awesome brain work coming together and now it's being like poisoned you know, by, you know, chemicals I don't want in their body at this point in time. Um, You know, is there a real concern that there's like a legitimate, you know, remember back in the day, I mean, you know, when it was like your, your brain and it was like your brain on drugs and it was the egg and the fire, you know, the frying pan and everything was all over after that. You know, how, how, how true is that with the introduction of substances like marijuana and alcohol and uh huffing or any of these other things that kids might be doing and experimenting with in this really critical time of brain architecture
1: right well as much as my buddies and i when we were teenagers used to sit around and laugh at those commercials while using drugs um i get there is some reality to that i mean you're you're basically you're battling it on two fronts a little bit there's the immediate you know whether it be overdose or you know you mentioned inhalants which are they're just so dangerous, right? Yeah, the the yeah. brain anything it's a, a kid who again teenagers not famous for their understanding of boundaries, both personal and with other people, so you get somebody who's huffing a bunch of stuff or there's an alcohol poisoning concern, or you know out here, um, you know fentanyl and and some of those opioids are just just ravishing the younger person community It's just really brutal and unfortunate, so you get a, kind of that immediate concern right or emergent issue and then then there's also the anytime time you are putting chemicals into your system it's just not good for your brain development it's not good for you know uh case in point and you, and you mentioned marijuana which of course like every teenager nowadays thinks is like somehow actually good for you let alone dangerous or bad right and it's legal in
0: washington yeah, and with it, Washington State, right. it's legal, so it's way even though that's not the intent, it's really yeah. easier now for kids to get a hold of it. Yeah,
1: and I'd be shocked, honestly, if it's not legal in Arizona. It already is medicinally, mm-hmm. and I think just for uh, no other words escaping me, recreational use. Probably, I'd, I'd be very surprised if for the next two to four years it's right. not legal here too. And whatever, you know, that that is what it is. Um, but, you know, the misconception that young people have generally because they heard it from a friend who's a year older. So they think they're like, you know, the Merlin, the wizard of drug use uh, or saw it on the Internet. of course, Right. Um, so, it's, well, it's not as bad for you as cigarettes and it's not this. And it's like any time you inhale smoke into your lungs, it's bad for you. I don't care if you're smoking pot, cigarettes daisies like whatever it is it's bad for you and one of the reasons it's bad for you is restricted airflow cuts off oxygen to your brain right it just it restricts the oxygen to your brain that's a fact i don't care what your 19 year old pothead older brother said like that's a fact right and so you run into those concerns of of people maybe not the traditional or medical term but or definition, but people creating a brain damage situation for themselves, which may not be permanent, but certainly will take uh, a couple of years of total abstinence for them to get to get back to optimal brain brain function. Basically, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's very concerning.
0: Well, so how do you address then the, uh, you know, the, um, comment from an adult like you and I, and I, I believe you had touched on it. You know, you've used drugs in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my drug of choice starting at an early age was alcohol at about 13. And, right. um, and I never really, like, I am not going to lie. Like I've, you know, dabbled with marijuana, but it's never been like a, a regular part of my life. I've always just kind of stuck with alcohol and never tried anything else beyond that. But, you know, how do you answer the question or the comment that an adult says, like, listen, I turned out fine, you know, <laughs> like I did, oh, yeah. I, yeah, you know, and it's like, well, did you, or, you know, and can you still turn out fine? I mean, that, that seems like that's a big hurdle right there, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. And I think you put it in a pretty appropriate, you know, first off, it's like, well, whose definition of fine are we using? Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Certainly I'm not gonna say that everybody who ever smoked some pot as a teenager went on to live in a van down by the river and not make anything out of their
0: life. Right. And made course, questionable life choices. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> of course, there's everybody knows a doctor, lawyer, a professional athlete, whatever that smokes pot. And so it's like certainly not gonna be over dramatic and say it's impossible to create a good life for yourself. No, I don't know those people personally necessarily. So I don't know how happy they are versus anybody else. And I think you got to consider that, but the biggest difference, and I do get that, or I will hear that from parents sometimes, you know, parents who are you know my age in their early forties or older than me or whatever, or, you know, obviously sometimes younger. And they'll say, well, yeah, I, I partied a little bit in high school. I'm fine now. What's the problem? And I would say, well, one it's it's an entirely different substance. The pot that kids are smoking today is not what I smoked in the early '90s. I can assure you of that, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's more chemicals involved. It's more potent. Um, and the fact of the matter is, the the whole gateway thing, you know, I think, is actually more clear now than ever. I, I think that the, um, again, not for everybody, right? Uh, so we won't lever, lump everybody together. But the amount of kids that are transitioning relatively quickly into, you know, bigger and badder chemicals uh, is is at an all time high, really, from what I've seen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's the issue there. Secondly, you know, if you're saying that about your child, it's one of those things where it's like, well, but do you really want to run that risk? Right. Right. Case in point. I, and I'm certainly not proud of it. As a matter of fact, the opposite, uh, thankfully nothing terrible ever came from it, but I drove intoxicated several times as a teenager Mm -hmm. and I turned out fine. Right. So do I want my boys when they become teenagers driving intoxicated? Well, of course not. Right. Right. I'll do whatever I can to prevent that. Right. As my parents did, you know how that whole deal works. Um, so there's a lot of things we can say that about that I don't necessarily want my kids to roll the dice with some of those same things. And it's like pot as big of a deal as driving drunk or doing this or doing that. You know, other people can debate that all they want. I just don't think any of it's super safe. Um, and I think we should approach it as such.
0: Mm hmm. So why do you um, I'm asking this like I have no idea why I did it, um, but why do kids tend to turn towards drugs and alcohol, and at about what age do you see the this experimenting with it or actually introducing it as a coping mechanism into their life
1: right no good, good questions. I mean I think you nailed it, you were thirteen, I was fourteen. those are about the common ages kind of somewhere in that window, that kind of twelve to fifteen window. Again, not exclusive, you know, and we know many people nowadays who didn't even start using drugs until their fifties or sixties, thanks to the overprescription epidemic that we're just now starting to address in our society. Um, but still, I think the I don't know, average person that ends up with a drug or alcohol problem probably starts using relatively regularly in those early teenage years. And I think a part of that, obviously, and you mentioned this in in your introduction, you know, for some people, that's going to be a relatively easy link one day, you know, hopefully if they're willing to work on it and have the resources to get some help to like some trauma or to some, you know, childhood strife or to, you know, to something like that. For most people, though, it's, it's actually often just kind of a product of, a kind of societal norm slash adolescence. I mean, look out of out of any age breakdown. You know, you know infants, toddlers, teenagers, young adults, adults, geriatric population. Whatever, the most kind of reviled, the, the most that people don't want to go back to ever are those teenage years, right? Like you offer any halfway happy, relatively successful adult a blank check to go back to being sixteen, not for a weekend, <laughs> not about that, it's like start like, nobody's taken it right. nobody right right which right. which tells you something right because those years are so difficult, even for like well adjusted you know normal, whatever that means, kids or whatever. Those years, those years are so difficult because you're figuring out tons about life. Everything's starting to change. Starting with your body and your internal system, to your friend group, to the things you learn in school, to the fears you have in society. You know, they're just it's, you're being bombarded constantly with all this change. And you know, again, you don't really know who you are, and you're trying to figure out where you're at with things that you can't really comprehend yet just super difficult right so pretty much every teenager and again i don't care if they're straight a captain of the bowling team whatever people are into suffers from a little low self-worth because uh you're too young to do certain things and you're not old enough to do others right you think you should be able to handle situations the way that adults do but you can't you don't have that skill set yet right so it's a really convoluted kind of crazy time period in life. And you feel very unsettled, mm-hmm. right? And very unsure of yourself in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So you've got some buddies who are hanging out. And, and again, all the stuff that I used to see when I was a kid, you know, dark alley, guy in a leather bike jacket, come here, kid and do these drugs in your It's like, that's not real. And nobody, in it you got some of your buddies hanging out after school hey, we're getting high or we're drinking a couple of beers, come hang out with us. You know, I used to tell people, you know, if my friends had all been chewing bamboo, I probably would have developed a bamboo chewing problem. I wasn't looking to do drugs and alcohol at all. It's like, my friends said this was fun and cool and whatever. Mm -hmm. We started getting high a little bit. I started to realize how I felt after I smoked pot or after I drank a few beers or whatever. And that little like critical committee in my head was adjourned. Right. And I could just hang out and laugh and joke with my buddies. And, you know, I remember going home the first couple of times after I smoked pot being like, why doesn't everybody do this all? This is amazing. Like where have, like, why were people in school teachers and parents and, principals and the police, you know, the P's, right? Pastors, Mm -hmm. whatever. Why were people trying to push me away from this? I just didn't get it, Mm -hmm. right, at the time. Um, And so so oftentimes it's not some life crisis or huge deal, it can be that sometimes, certainly. But, you know, sometimes I tell parents that I almost wish I had a video recording of every parent I had ever met with over the past 20 years which would be highly illegal and creepy, if not to mention super expensive. So I don't have that.
0: Right, yeah. And violations of all HIPAA laws. <laughs> violations of everything. Yeah. Ever.
1: Right. Um, but my, my point in that is this. Whatever any parent or set of parents thinks they could have done differently, I got a thousand parents that did that and that still ended up with their kids using or what? Right? It's like... Mm-hmm. It's our fault because we got divorced. We should have gotten divorced. It's our—we should have given him a brother or a sister. If only she was an only child. We gave him too much money. We didn't give her enough money. We should have make him made him play sports. We did whatever. It's like it's not that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There is no cure for adolescence other than growing up. Yeah. Life experience and adolescents are kind of forever going to be attracted to relatively risk-taking, thrill-seeking behavior. It's a part of our growth process. You know what I mean? It, Just yeah. kind of hope that they fall into some other stuff that isn't drug and alcohol. related.
0: Right, right. Injury. Now, so you basically set the stage that said his parents were screwed, (laughs) Like you know, um, there's not much we can do about it. Now I I do, I do recall, um, you know, one of my guests was actually a woman who specialized in sexuality. And so I know this topic doesn't feel like it's relevant to this, but when we talked about, uh, with her, about honesty and forming a trust between a parent and a child, and that, you know, when we, when we talk about sexuality as a, and it's as a taboo topic, and parents tend to, especially mothers and daughters, uh, pretend like we didn't have sex in high school, that we don't have right. sexual feelings, we, you know, and, and because we want, you know, I, I'm not this way, but, you know, some people feel shameful about the topic. They don't. And so they feel like the best way to parent their child to make good decisions is to deny they ever felt that way, pretend like it never happened to them as an adult, like, no, I never, I never did that. And then all it successfully does, though, is it doesn't keep you know, your child from, you know, still doing like you're saying, they're still going to probably seek out those sources. They're going to just do that. Right. But now what you've done is you've created a, a lack of trust between them because now they feel maybe shameful for these choices, these thoughts, these feelings, these endeavors, because you've really been lying to them and you're kind of playing the role of a hypocrite thinking that that's a good parenting mode. Now, is there a correlation to that with, when we're talking about, you know, drugs and alcohol with our kids, like should parents be a bit honest about their own adolescent experiences in order to, build some trust or, you know, because I would think that a parent might choose not to do that because they think if they admit that they started drinking when they were 13 years old, that that somehow is giving the kid the green light to go do it, which is not the case. But I'm trying to figure out like, is there a balance between, you know, disclosure and forming trust with, you know, parenting and and doing it in a way that's productive to, you know, keeping our kids safe?
1: Right. Right. No, and, and I think that there certainly can be, you know, as with, with anything with an individual, you know, parent or parents, child, children relationship, you know, you got to know your family and your kids and what you're comfortable with and kind of what they can handle to a certain extent. Um I, you know, I believe in being upfront and honest with, you know, I have been with my children who aren't even teenagers yet to an extent that I think they can, you know, I haven't like read them the play by play from all my teenage exploits. I'm not sure if I'll (laughs) ever do that. Exactly. But, um, we talk openly and honestly about it because I agree. I think the probably the worst thing that I can think of for a parent-child relationship as it heads into those teenage years is like a veil, you know what I mean? Or a block or some, I don't feel like I can go to my folks with what's going on with me or what my thoughts are because it is, again, like we've covered, there is so much chaos anyway. And then it's like for the first 10, 11, 12 years of my life, I grow up learning that my parents are my go-to people and they're the people I can rely on and we can be honest with you. They're my safety And now I'm 13 or 14 and because I want to learn about drugs or sex and anybody that thinks teenage sexuality doesn't play into like everything. I don't know what you spent your teenage years doing, but it's a huge topic. Right. And mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, you know, I, I think, keeping them in the dark or not talking about that or not sharing some experiences again, appropriately and whatever, you know, it just leads them to feeling worse and worse about themselves. And I would say the one thing that we can do as parents is try to help our kids increase their self-esteem as much as possible or their self-worth as much as uh, possible during these years. So they may be less likely to engage in these types of risky behavior uh, in order to find something that maybe they're missing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And, uh, and that's certainly not a cure-all, but I feel like having open and honest communication is a big step forward in that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Uh, because they're going to hear about it from somebody else, right? <laughs> Drugs, sex. They're they're either hearing about it from their 16-year-old buddies right? In those terms, with those semantics and all of that, or they're going to hear about it from you and adults that they trust. And so it's like, well, I certainly know who I want my kids hearing that stuff from. Right. You know I mean?
0: Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Well, and so is there a, is there a good age to start talking about it with kids? I mean, I, I understand the age appropriateness. That's obvious, you know, and about right. a, a lot of these topics and stuff. I, you know, for me, I know, I began having the conversations when my kids were around 12 years old because, right. and I, at that time, I really wanted them. Um, it wasn't a, not an attempt to scare them, but I tried to have frank and honest conversations about like alcohol poisoning because you see so many right. times where kids, you know, sneak into the liquor cabinet when their parents are gone and they have no idea what alcohol does to the body. They're trying, and they drink right. way too much until they end up dead. And and I'm just like, well, I, you know, I don't want that for them as well. And also about drinking and driving, you know, early on. And I remember one time I, I had, I, I didn't, I, and I didn't do this once. This is my experience. I didn't do this. Like we're going to have one big talk today about alcohol and then we're done um it was always a series of small conversations to lace it in because one afternoon my kids were in the car and i had to go take my car through the car wash because that night the night before i had to drive into town to go pick up some friends who'd had too much to drink and this is like a you know 40 some year old adult person who went way far down you know just really lit it up and you know tore one on that night and i'm the dd to come in and get them And he stuck his head out of my car window and like vomited down the side of my car. And I didn't realize that until I'm taking errands with the kids. And I'm like, oh God. And I thought, you know what? Here's a good chance to talk about how even adults still make really stupid decisions. And that like, you know, like let's talk about how people that should know better air quotes around that can still take it too far and how dangerous it can be if you decide to do this, you know, or you get into this. Um, But, you know. That's me. That's, that's my kids. Hopefully I haven't, you know, destroyed them with all of that. But it right. seems like there's a good time to start to do this if we really want to um, shoulder them up and shore them up to make good choices in there. And so where do you feel like is maybe a magic number if there is such a thing for starting this and how do those conversations begin to look like?
1: Yeah, and I was gonna say if, if you damage your kids by talking to them at twelve or whatever, then God help me because I <laughs> like I said i my you know my kids are eight and ten we've already had some conversations about it. You know, again, you always almost have to defer to you know you got to know your kids and kind of know what they can take. And the only thing I'll say is don't wait too late. Start talking to them about it when they're fourteen. It's like they've already learned all this information. Mm-hmm. And they've already moved into the stage where you're no longer their primary educator. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. that's the thing. That's the thing that most parents struggle with. And I will too, but knowing it will do nothing to prevent me from struggling with it. But right around that 13, 14, um, you kind of, not that I agree with it, but I understand why certain religions would have said back in the day that 13 and 14 you're an adult because they kind of start pulling away from you know, their family, not, I mean, they're not going to go live on their own or it doesn't mean they don't love you. Right. Right. It just means that you don't have their, their ear, maybe in the way that you used to. Mm-hmm. Right. Like with my kids at 10 or eight, if my wife or I tell them something, it's gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. They're they're. It's just, it's a fact. Mm-hmm. I can go tell them that the sky has changed. That is now considered the color purple. And they're going to believe me at least until they maybe get around hundreds of other people that are like, Oh um, no, it's mm-hmm. still blue or whatever. At 12, 13, 14, that starts to go away. And it starts being their peers and society at large that become their primary educators, right? Mm-hmm. And then in a normal cycle, most people circle back around in their early to mid 20s to, you know, like, I know I would, in my twenties, I would call my dad for advice all the time. And he would, we would joke and he'd be like, where was this the past decade? Yeah, Sorry. It (laughs) wasn't, wasn't interested. Right. Um, but, uh, so it's a little different again, kind of for everybody. And I think if there's an opportunity for it to come up organically, kind of like the example you gave with the car wash, great kind of organic opportunity to talk about that. Uh, for me, um, it was even a couple, they were even younger, probably seven and five or six and eight or whatever the math was, you know, I had a, a recovery coin out from a, you know, meeting that I had been to and got. And one of my kids asked me what that was. And so I explained it. So I said, I go to meetings to help me, you know, because I used to really struggle with drugs and alcohol when I was a kid. And we just kind of talked about it a little bit when I was younger and said, I'm in that stage in life, or most thing, anything under thirty is kids. Kid, yeah. Um, but uh, and we got to talk about it a little bit, you know. And then sometimes I've said, "You going to one of those don't do drug meetings?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I am." Mm-hmm. You know. So it just kind of depends. Hopefully, you can come up organically. If not, um, there are certainly, and I don't have them off the top of my head. We can all use our best friend Google to look at it. If if we need, there's certainly resources out there that paint like a a picture of here's how you kind of bridge that gap and here's how you kind of get into that. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking, Hey, you know, Billy or Susie, what do you know about this topic? Or what do you know about to kind of tie in something that you brought up? I remember watching uh, about a year ago as a family, we were watching like a planet earth or one of those kind of, you know, national geographic shows and, You know, the male bird was doing his little dance to try to attract a female. And my nine, at the time, nine-year-old said, I know what he's doing. I said, well, what's that? Well, he's trying to have sex with the female bird. And I was like, sorry, what does that mean? And he's like, well, it's just where they kind of roll around on the ground. And my wife and I kind of laughed like, well, I guess that's one way to put it. And so we paused the show. And so where did you hear that? What do you know about that? What do you, you know, and then we just kind of got into a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think kids give us an opportunity to get into that stuff. It's generally like our own insecurity. Like, are we going to take advantage of that opportunity? Or, uh, I don't know. That's weird. Talk mm-hmm. to your whoever about that. Don't they cover that in school? It's like, yeah, not anymore. Right. Um, So I think it's just taking advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves.
0: Right, right. No, and that makes a a lot of sense there. Um, You know, and the other thing, too, is I think, um, you know, we, especially with alcohol, you know, is that because it is socially acceptable to have in the home and to drink in front of our kids is, you know, the don't do as I, you know, do as I say, don't do as I do mentality also that, you know, your kids are watching you indulge. And I think that right. that's part of the mindset that we have when we decide to experiment is that it feels adult. Like I, I'm trying to understand if I'm becoming that's an adult okay. right now. So I need to do adult mm-hmm. things. And I see alcohol is all over the house. Everybody drinks, everybody does it. So therefore, you know, to become an adult means I need to start drinking alcohol. And, um, and it feels like, you know, that's why I think it, you know, it is important, you know, to be able to talk early because you don't want to be sending these mixed signals because that just confuses kids on how to make those choices, Right. you know? Um, and you you know, don't do this until you're old enough. Like, that's not an answer, right. <laughs> you know, for them, right?
1: Yeah. That's why when parents, and I get it, and it's not, not incorrect, but when mm-hmm. parents try, you know, if they bust their teenager drinking and they say, well, it's illegal, it's like, that doesn't mean anything. You know, teenagers kind of look at the adult, adult world or look at adults as hypocrites most of the time anyway. Right. And you say, well, I'm 17, but I can't drink. But this guy up the street's 21, not that there's that great of a difference, at least in his or her mind. And it's like, I don't mean, know, it's kind of hard to argue that right. to a certain extent. And since, like you said, you know, teenagers don't really like adults, but they crave adult experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So drugs, alcohol, sex, all of those things are going to be in that arena because it's, they're just trying to, again, kind of figure out who they are and how to move through it.
0: Mm-hmm. You yeah. know.
1: So, yeah, I agree. I think you got to have those types of conversations.
0: Right. Now, how hard is it for you as a as a therapist and as somebody that's helping, you know, a teenager that has a problem that has gone down the path too far, you know, beyond the, you know, air quote around normal individuation and experimenting teenagers due to the place where they now have like a really, you know, a, 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 an addiction and abuse problem. And you see that part of that is coming from the home life that they have, you know, and, and you're uh, you're trying to help a kid out whose environment is just kind of continuing to fuel that, you know, cause I think sometimes parents don't take enough responsibility for their own behaviors and, in and creating an environment where a child feels that they, they don't, they aren't just experimenting, but now they're escaping from that. I mean, and so how, how do you handle that in your practice with when you've got that kid? I mean, and then, you know, on the other hand, here's a family that is, is not going to be supportive of, you know, any kind of real good change for them. Um, Cause right. I can imagine that's super hard. I mean, it breaks my heart when I see kids like that, that are in these homes, you're just like, God, this porch, this poor child has no chance, you know, not until, right. you know, su- not until parents change.
1: Right. No, absolutely. And because of that, we try to focus more on, okay, what can you do? Right. Like your family might be this, or they might not be that supportive or they might, but as a, you know, younger person moving into adulthood, one of the things you're going to learn about is personal responsibility. And at the end of the day, it can't be about what other people are doing, right? It has to be about like, if you've recognized this as a problem, because if they're sitting in my office and, and they don't have a supportive family on it, then they've recognized it's an issue, right? You generally don't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. If you have a supportive family, you might have an in denial teenager. If you have a accepting open teenager, sometimes you're gonna have a you know, not supportive family or whatever. So um so you know, if a family says, Hey, our bad, what can we do to be a part of the solution? That opens up a lot more doors. And obviously that would be ideal. But some kids don't have that. Some kids don't really have any family support, as sad as that is just be literally tangibly or whatever the case may be. And so again, we focus a lot on, you know, you're going to be in situations throughout your life where, you know, the buck stops with you or where what other people are doing might always have an influence on you or over you, but ultimately you have to make the best decisions for you. And so how can we engage in some, you know, growth pat- patterns or some way of thinking some ways of thinking that benefit you moving forward independent of kind of what everybody else is doing. Yeah. In a perfect world, everybody's supportive and great and no alcohol in the house or no this and that, or it's like, that's just not gonna, you know, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've had parents say, who are you to tell me I can't drink alcohol in my own house. And I'm like, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you, your son or daughter is identified with an alcohol problem. If you want to give them the best chance of addressing it, you won't have alcohol in your house. Do you, I can't make you do it, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, I'm being shooting straight with you on it, right? Mm-hmm. And some take that and accept that and some are like, Ew. "No, okay, <laughs> right? I can't, you know. And I won't, personally, I won't let the teenager off the hook. It's like, you know I don't care if your mom or dad you know runs a brewery in your in your house, right? If this is affecting you, let's look at it and let's work on it because you're gonna hit a time period in your life, maybe not now, but down the road where it can't be all about well, my folks when I did this, that, and the third it's like there's only so long you can do that in your you know in your forties, like my parents it's like cool, you should address that, but nobody's gonna. You know, your boss isn't going to care about that. Your person you're dating isn't going to care about that. Whoever, the cops aren't going to care about that. If you get busted drunk driving, well, if my parents were more supportive 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. it's like, "Mm, work it out with a jailhouse therapist, right, at that point. So we work a lot on personal responsibility regardless of age or circumstance.
0: Right. Well, that's a good thing. I know in my place, um, you know, I, I have gotten rid of all the alcohol in the house. I, I do drink, but I, I, it's rare, you know, for me, right. it's more like a social thing to go out. Cause I like margaritas and dirty vodka martinis. It's just me. Right. But right. when I, when yeah. I noticed my uh, home alcohol supply was going down, And uh, I was just like, and you know, kids think that they can hide it. They all think that they're stealth. And you're just like, man, you guys are are terrible at this. Right. I finally just made the choice of like, you know, I just, I can't have it in my house with teenagers. Like I just, you know, Um, and so I dumped out every bottle I had, I sold, I had this teak cabinet. I kept it all in. I got rid of that, went through the refrigerator. It was all gone. And I just said, you know what? I I can live without this. And if this means I'm keeping something away, a temptation away from the kids, that is my, that's my, my responsibility. I mean, if I'm going to take this heart that I don't, you know, I want them to make good choices, then the the first good choice starts with me. And that's to, you know, that's to do that. And did it break my heart to get rid of some of that stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, a little bit. But then at the end of the day, it's like, what's the most important thing here? Um, You know, keeping that away from them because talking to him about it wasn't really stopping the, you know, sneaking in and seeing what, you know, tequila tastes like. Um, But, you know, there it is. Um now when do we know though that we have a, a problem because I can remember back in high school a friend of mine she just got caught she you know I wouldn't have classified her drinking as anything beyond what people were doing on the weekends in high school um you know she wasn't showing up to school drunk all the time she wasn't doing whatever but her parents caught her and they sent her straight to a treatment program that we had in our small town. It was like notorious is up at a hotel up the road, you know, by the interstate interchange. And, um, and so, you know, we all felt like that that was probably more severe than what should have been done about it. But, you know, nobody can question or judge your parents for that. But, you know, where's that line between, um, between, I don't want to call it acceptance, but you know, you've already told us they're going to do it. Like, you know, we do kind of lose a sense of control out of the situation. Right. When do we step in and intervene and come to places like you and people like you to really start to, you know, sort out and, um, and address a problem. Like when is the pro when is it a problem?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really difficult to answer that because, You know, when you're dealing, this is what kind of makes an alcohol or drug problem kind of unique, even amongst like the problem world, if that makes sense, (laughs) is you can experience the absolute worst consequences of an alcoholic the first time you drink. You know what I mean? If you go out and drink for the first time and drink too much and have alcohol poisoning and die, whether you were an alcoholic or not, doesn't matter. You're still dead from alcohol.
0: Good point. Right? Yep.
1: If you're out with your you know, buddies and you're 17, 18, hey, I got this pill, we're all taking it, it's fine, it'll chill you out. You take a pill, it's fentanyl, you die from it. You don't have to be a drug addict to have suffered those consequences. So it's like, that's why I'm with you. I mean, I can't really fault your friend's parents because it's like, was it too extreme? It may have proven to be too extreme if she just kind of, went on to grow up and live a normal life and be fine and whatever. But it's just like, how do you roll the dice with stuff like that when it's with your kids? And it's just Mm -hmm. another in the never ending, like almanac length supply of items as a parent that you're just kind of like, God, I don't know what the right answer is for that. But here's what I feel like I need to do. So I would think once you get knowledge that your son or daughter is, you know, drinking or taking drugs of any sort, probably sitting down with a professional is not a bad idea. You know what I mean? I just Mm -hmm. once or whatever the case, you know, you can tell your kid, like, look, we're not throwing you in some place and taking, we just don't need to talk to somebody about it, Uh, you know, outside of somebody who has some experience or some perspective, that can kind of help you understand the realm that you're getting into a little bit, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just hear something opposite because you just, you want another voice in somebody's ear other than just their buddies, right? Because their buddies are telling them all the same stuff anyway. Right. And like we already covered, nobody's buddy knows any more than they do what they're doing just because they can use some of the semantics and say a couple of things. doesn't make them any more well-educated. And so, you know, but trying to determine exactly that line between, okay, this is an issue and this is kind of quote unquote normal adolescent behavior, you know, it's just really tough. What I would tell you is if there's dishonesty or sneaking around, that to me is a problem. I don't care how long they've been doing it, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's the closest thing to kind of a, a quantifier on that, I think would be if they're coming to you and open. Hey, I want to let you know I'm going to Billy or Susie's house party tonight. There's going to be some drinking there. I may try some. I'll call you if I need a ride, you know, whatever.
0: Mm -hmm. And I
1: get how many teenagers really do that. Well, some, believe it or Mm -hmm. not.
0: Yeah, some. And
1: and they that kind of stuff, it's like, okay, if there's open dialogue on it, I think you can feel a little bit better about, or as close to better as you can feel about something like this Mm -hmm. on that. Potentially, but if there's sneakiness and dishonesty and you find stuff in their room and you find, you know then it's i would I would intervene in some way, shape, or form. Does that mean you need to send them to some you know program for six months you know not necessarily might mean you just have a talk with them or have mm-hmm. them talk with a counselor once or twice or look for an adolescent specific outpatient program in your town or whatever the case may be. But do something. You just, you don't, because of the risk of the consequences, you don't just want to do nothing and then five years later, we're like, now we know they have a problem because they're in prison for 10 years. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. But, well, you
0: know. and you bring up the fact that it's, it, you know, that the consequences of these substances, especially to teenagers who lack, you know, they're, you know, are high risk behavior oriented, you know, humans, anyways, is that it, it's the risks don't necessarily have to build up on themselves they can happen instantly right Right. it's not like i'm not going to have a drinking and driving problem until i've done this for two years it's like like you said it could happen the first freaking time you decide to do it or next friday or you know or maybe it's you know several years down the road um it's that's how dicey it really is now is there anything that um parents can do i mean what are the best things parents can do to um uh To Maybe as deterrence, you know, we've talked about a little bit about this, you know, conversations and stuff like that, but are there any really good strategies that parents can constantly employ um, in order to um, ideally prevent this from evolving into, you know, addiction level problems, Um, not just the, you know, don't make a mistake and drink and drive, you know, kind of issues.
1: Right. No, absolutely. And some, some, some of the difficulty with the addiction level problems is just so hard to predetermine who's going to be at risk for that.
0: Right. Right.
1: Obviously, there's some science behind genetic predisposition, and you know some other things. So again, if you know your family history, you can talk with your children about look, your you know parents, like in my case, or whatever your grandparents or whoever have had problems in this area. There's science that suggests you may too. So you need to be very cautious and careful if you decide to stick a toe in, in this water. Um, I think, again, that the building of the self-worth and self-esteem as much as you can, right, with, mm-hmm. with kids, um, uh, the open and honest dialogue, right, I think is huge. Um, the encouraging them to ask questions about it and to talk to you about it and to seek out real perspectives other than just that from you know some kids they heard about down the road or the internet mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, so a lot of the stuff we've touched on anyway, but just to kind of package it up a little bit um and and we've referenced this to like ultimately someone's gonna do what they're gonna do right i mean that's uh You know, it's interesting to me as a parent and as a professional in the field and as just a person who's interested in this human dynamic, you know, how much, you know, when somebody does something, you know, wrong or bad or illegal or whatever, even as an adult, you have a tendency to think like, or society has a tendency to think like, well, what were their parents like? Or what was their parenting? Or what was this? Or what was that? So I get why so many parents, when they show up at a treatment center or in an office like mine or whatever, have this guilt and, oh, we must have done something wrong. And what I've learned in my experience, both personally, professionally, and just in the world, is, you know, people, independent people are independent people. You know what I mean? And you can shape, like you said, you can lead by example. Doesn't mean everybody's going to follow that example, right? Mm -hmm. Like. People have the right to do what they're going to do, provided it doesn't hurt other people. And I guess they have the right to do that too, as long as they're willing to accept the consequences or whatever the case may be. And so sometimes all the prevention techniques and everything that you do in the world isn't going to necessarily stop your son or daughter from trying drugs and alcohol. And then maybe them being some, you know, snow. Uh, snowball build up from that. And i got to trust me as a parent myself, that answer sucks. And I really wish there was something more concrete. Do this. Right. Of going the flowers in the attic route, which is right and just for younger people that may be listening, sort of finding your kids in the attic mm-hmm. their whole life, which is going to not have good results for them and for you once they get out of there. Um, they, you just cannot you know, bubble wrap your kids out of this deal. But what you can do is encourage open and honest dialogue, real fact finding, right? Not the, not like, well, my friend read in, you know, high times, right? That's the marijuana magazine for people mm-hmm. that know that. Um, and whatever the case may be, like real research, talking to real people with real honest dialogue on it can go a long ways in means of prevention. Mm-hmm. You know, As well as, of course, the classic encouraging them to get into what are your interests, let's get you into some clubs, groups, activities that support that. So hopefully you can find, you know, again, every teenager is going to look for something to get into, right? Sitting still and calm with themselves is not really a thing in the teenage world.
0: Right. Right. No. And that's understandable. I mean, they, that's, that's, you know, that's when we talk about this topic, they have to do that because they are, they're still building brain pathways that require that serve and return that response, that concept, you know, that's, that's that learning process. It seems frustrating, but yet it's, it's a part of life in a, you know, in a a way, you know, and that, so that, that leads me to, you know, sometimes the choices or the, you know, the decisions that parents have to make, which is, um, sometimes parenting feels like what you're trying to do is save them from the consequences. So you're trying to dictate what to do. You're trying to bubble wrap them. As you said, like I'm just going to put this thing around them because I know if they venture out and try this, that, you know, how it's going to end up. I mean, that's the forethought that and foresight that parents and adults end up getting is, yeah, I know I, I can already tell that, you know, a plus B is going to equal C. And right. so we want to avoid C for our kids, but we have to let them, at, do the math, you know, the, the mental math there on their own. But at what point does a parent, um, you know, still parent their kid when they do make one of these mistakes um, mm-hmm. that, you know, because I, I, I think about this, you know, sometimes um, we deal with within our family, some other um, mental health concerns. And when I see a consequence that came as the action of a child who really wasn't in the right frame of mind, made a mistake, made a decision, um, not from a really logical sense, but from that, you know, the, the, you know, maybe it's from depression or anxiety or something like that. And I think in the case of substance abuse, you know, a kid makes a choice or decision in this altered state of mindset. Um, You know, is it okay sometimes for a parent to step in and go, um, I'm going to see if I can't protect them from the consequence of that because the, the, fallout from that might be worse than allowing them to live with that consequence. And I've seen, right. and when we talk about addictions and when it gets real bad that we can't protect our children all the time from the consequences. If they get arrested, they got to get arrested if they do that. But right. is there a fine line where, where a parent still gets to message to their kid? I'm still here for you, right? Like right. I, I've got your back, no matter how terrible this is right now, you can still count on me to help you. And do you know if there's a a good balance in there? This might be another one of those really hard questions that has no awesome answer. You know, I don't know.
1: They all are, right? Because of the subject matter. But no, you know, I think you bring up a great point. I I think you would almost have to continue to be an advocate for your child because one, that's your natural instinct anyway, or probably should be. Um, And two, I mean, they are certainly at... 15 or 16 or whatever the math is. You now, again, if your adult son or daughter's 38 and go rob a store, it's like, well, there's not a whole lot you can do about that, whether you want to or not, unless you want to spring for a lawyer, I guess. But for a, for an adolescent, I mean, there would almost be a sense of like, here's what we'll do. So well, this is a legal situation for me. So you got a shoplifting charge and then what, running from the police or whatever. So we will... Go talk to the police. We'll go talk to the attorney, the prosecutor, whatever. We will go to bat for you, We provided you're willing to get counseling, take some diversion classes, do whatever. There's got to be some give and take. But here's the deal. We'll go talk to the people we need to talk to. If they decide to punish you anyway or whatever consequence, there's nothing we can do about that. We're not going to, like, you know, fly you to South America to hide out for stuff like. You need to face the consequences of your actions because that's a life lesson that the rest of the world will continue to teach you until you learn it, right? And if you never learn it, you're going to end up, you know, free resident of the state for a lot of years Mm -hmm. if you get my drift, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one of those biggest gray areas where it's like, well, one of the principles of life is there's consequences for your actions, right? Right. But still, as a parent, and therefore kind of a shepherd of the adolescent experience for your young person, you, know, you want to you know, try to help them learn from it as best they can and still let them know, like, I'm on your side. I mean, you screwed up, but probably I have too, whether I got caught for it or not as a teenager is a different story, but, and I'll help you through it, but ultimately, you still may have some consequences to pay, right? Like you still, you know, here's one. You got your 16 year old girlfriend pregnant and she's gonna have the baby. It's like, okay, well, I'll still love you. And if you want some parenting classes and if you want, but after school, your days of video games are over. You're gonna need to get a job and start saving money and figure out how you want to be a parent. And that's how that happens more and more these days Mm -hmm. as you like. I raised my kids, at least until, you know, in this hypothetical case, you're 16 or whatever. So I'm not doing it for you, but I will help prepare you for that really big life task that you just decided to take on,
0: Mm -hmm. right? One way
1: or another. So does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Shepherding
1: them through that, but at the same time, they have to feel the consequences of their actions.
0: Right. No, absolutely. Now that does make sense. Um so what do you think is the best thing that you would tell a parent if they do have a child with a with a serious addiction? You know, I mean, is it a call to 911? I mean, you know, because I I feel like, you know, I, thankfully, you know, not in that situation, but it's a mm-hmm. grueling place to be in and you got to make some hard choices as a parent right. that maybe um, you know, really and popular with yourself and discomforting to yourself.
1: I can't. And as a parent now, I can a little bit more. I remember it, the, the day after my first son was born, I called my dad and I started apologizing again for all this stuff. I'd already apologized years ago <laughs> because I, I was like, Oh my God. Cause the love I felt for my son was stronger and any parent can relate to that. I just, it mm-hmm. changed my definition of love and life and spirituality and everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so, watching somebody that you love like that, right, uh, on a mission to destroy themselves, where you are relatively powerless over it, must be, I just couldn't imagine anything more difficult, right? So I'm like, so beyond words, empathetic to any parent in that situation right now. So what I would tell you though, is there is, there are certain things you can do. They're just not easy things, right? But again, that consequence I talked about early on, just to circle it all back around, it's not that that one ever goes away, right? You just, there's more consequences added to it. The ultimate goal is like, just keep them alive, Right. And so they can get some help. So whatever you have to do, if they're doing a legal, you know, my parents called the police on me when I was 17. Um, And of course, that day, how could you do that? You know, whatever, every curse word in the book. Today, I'm like, man, thank God they did that. And I would absolutely do the same thing. And it would be awful. And I'm sure I'd spend all day crying and have to go go see my own therapist and do it. But I would do it right because i don't want my kids to die for any reason other than old age one day but certainly not from a drug or an alcohol issue mm-hmm. right so anything i would need to do to intervene i would do right and whether that's calling the cops sending them to treatment if it if that's what it dictates going to get professional help like Doing, you know, people say all the time, like, uh, should I kick my kid out? or "Should I, It's like, well, I, I'm never going to tell anybody to do that or not do that. What I will say is, you know, if somebody's in the, in the thralls of an addiction, they're going to use wherever they are. So it's just kind of a matter of are you supporting it or are you sending a message that, like, we love you and ourselves enough to respect that while you have the right to destroy yourself, we don't have to watch it. Mm You know what I mean? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And again, beyond, that's why I would never say it. And sometimes people, well, you just got to kick them out in tough love. And it's like, yeah, you can't ever tell another person to do that to their child. I don't care how old they are. Right. Um, But that's a thing that people do sometimes that ends up sometimes being effective.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, it's just take some action. Don't just sit back and watch and get angry at them. Mm -hmm because They're in the thralls of an addictive disorder, like, do what you can, which may not be much, but it is something. Go yeah. talk to somebody yourself, right go talk to a a specialist in alcohol or drug issues yourself, and get some tools for your specific situation
0: mm-hmm. that's well, right. that and that's that's really great uh great advice you know I'm sitting here thinking too you know recognizing that you know, addiction is not just something that just kind of resolves on its own by crossing your fingers and hoping for it. Um, that if you've generally got something that, um, you know, that your child is trapped up in something pretty severe, it will, it'll take something probably equally severe in terms of its intensity to try to, you know, to help them out of that. Cause sitting back and hoping for the best, unfortunately doesn't always end very well, you know, for anybody, um, you know, and who wants that for their own kid. Um, So doing whatever it takes is like you said, it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's quite possibly the right thing to do, especially if you just want them to live, you know, you want them to, to have another moment on this earth with you. So, um, Now, so, you know, you're based out of the Phoenix area. Do you have resources or anything online that you would recommend for people? Um, You know, how do people find you? You're with Continuum Recovery Center. For anybody that is in the Phoenix area that's listening to it, um, do you have people, families that fly in from outside of the state to use your guys' services? And do you offer anything that's online? For somebody that's like, okay, I need to start getting my hands into understanding this topic a little bit more so that I can navigate with my kids.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Continuum does work with with families out of state from time to time. Now we're an 18 and up program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I would encourage regardless of age is, you know, I have a website it's GL. It's my initials GLcounseling.com. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I really want to, I do have a website, but forget that. Get well at glcounseling.com is my email. Okay. And I encourage anybody listening that wants more information or resources or questions or whatever, shoot me an email I'll, I'll get back to you, you know, if, if you, again, just want some resources or have your own question that maybe didn't get answered throughout the course of this interview, you know, I'd be happy to, to chat with you at
0: any time. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, Geffen, I value your time that you spent with me today and uh, really do appreciate uh, getting connected together and, and talking about this topic. Um, so I want to thank you so much for, for doing One broken wall Mom with me. Oh,
1: awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amicuericone.com, and there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Amir Quirconi, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.